episode is brought to you by Tambourine Spring Wallet. Visit tambourinesprings.com.au or call 0434-952-449 to order your water today. Tambourine Spring Water is a local business situated on Mount Tambourine. Their water is bottled at the source on their 163 meter deep privately owned spring. The spring provides access to a free-flowing underground stream which is where their premium quality spring water comes from. It then goes through a very strict sediment and UV filtration process to ensure the final product remains both consistent and of brightest quality. It is then bottled and stored until it leaves for the client's home or office. Most water companies in Australia all cut their water from a contractor before being processed and then bottled, which leaves lots of room for contamination and foreign bodies entering the water. In Tambourine Springs, it's a matter of minutes from when the water is extracted from the spring into a bottle, which is then sealed and stored into a cool dark environment. The spring water is naturally bacteria-free and passes all quality tests prior to filtration. Despite that, Tambourine Springs water have one of the strictest filtration systems, so there is no room for error when it comes to your drinking water. They do not add any chemicals whatsoever to the drinking water, the only thing the filters are doing is removing sand and sediments that comes naturally with the water. The three-stage system is there to ensure no bacteria have found its way into the water. When you purchase your water from Tambourine Spring water, you know you will receive the best spring water Southeast Queensland has to offer from a local family on a mission to provide the best service and quality. Water companies are often blamed with a good reason for polluting the environment with plastic bottles. This is not the case with Tambourine Spring Water. Your water is delivered to your door in 50 or 20 liter bottles and your used bottles are collected, disinfected and refilled again. So zero plastic waste goes into the environment. Me and my family are also using Tambourine Springs water way before they, they decided to sponsor this podcast. By experience, once you drink real spring water for a while, you cannot drink from the sink anymore or any commercial waters on the supermarket because it smells bad and has a bad taste. Ridiculously enough, in Australia you can mix 50% of the water with tap water and label and sell it as spring water. This is not the case with Tambourine Springs water. I personally know the family who owns it and I have been numerous times in their small factory to see my water being bottled straight from the spring after the filtration process. Majority of my team also purchased their drinking water from Tambourine Springs water. Find out more at tambourinesprings.com.au or call 0434-952-449 to order your water today. Hi, and thank you for tuning in to the Vizor Podcast. I'm Seth, and in this episode I talk with Amate Yer. Amate is a BJ brown belt, and he's working to introduce BJ in his home country of Laos. You can follow Amate Yer and his team or visit his gym at facebook.com slash bj.laos. And I met Amata and trained his gym while traveling in Laos years ago. Uh, our talk get carried away to some traditional Lao wisdom and reveals some secret of the happiness of the Lao people. I hope you enjoy and learn from this episode as much as I did. Why do we fight? To protect home and family. To preserve balance and bring harmony. For our kind, the true question is, what is worth fighting for? The fight is all podcast. Okay, we're on. Uh, first of all, thank you for taking the time. It was a long time <laughs> trying to do that, even trying to do to record it on uh, uh, around the road on while I was on, on trip on, in Laos. Uh, where are you now, my friend? Uh, thank you for inviting me first. Um, now I'm, I'm in Laos, now in Vientiane. In my home, last time when we tried to record, we, uh, I was uh, in the countryside, so it was a bit difficult. Even if now we have a quite a good internet connection in Laos, um, in countryside it's still difficult. Well, listen, like funny enough, the internet connection in Laos is better than the internet connection in Australia. Um, uh, it's not. It doesn't really. It, um, it's it's uh, serious because. Uh, Internet in Australia is is very bad, and and it Australia is famous with that. Funny enough, uh, there was uh, two Australian guys who has the idea about internet, so it's all started from from these two guys, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing is, <laughs> because of the communication companies here, very greedy, 
and they want to uh, they don't want you know to to apply with more modern technology and still the internet here is transferred on uh, copper cables so we have like shitty internet compared to all over the world it's just ridiculous that just yeah, gets yeah. off topic it doesn't surprise me because uh, um, I, you know I did a bit of um, telecoms and IT when I was uh, younger and what appears to me is that all countries like uh, Europe and Australia they all have these uh, cop copper cables that uh, they had to uh, you know had return in investment so all the development of um, uh, Wi-Fi and and, um, and uh, no cable technology came quite late compared to con um, emerging country where Actually, it's the best way because uh, you know there's so much mountain laws that we will use uh, uh, Wi-Fi or, or you know uh, or, or, uh, um, on no cable technology to 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 uh, to use um, uh, computer uh, uh, signals. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, I'm a bit confused now. now I want to yeah. say that um, because uh, the wireless technology. Well, <laughs> that's the why that's the word I was looking for. Wireless technology. Um, it's something that came very, very uh, strong here for the past uh, six, seven years. And even uh, we have fiber here in, in Vientiane. It, come, it came uh, quite uh, fast compared to France where it took decades to, to have it. Yeah, true. Uh, the thing is, like, uh, in, in those countries, in, it, it always comes back to the interest of these companies that, like, uh, kind of, you know, like, uh, dominate in the market. So they, because they, they have kind of, you know, monopole over the whatever they already done with these copper cables and they don't really want to invest in you know like fiber cables and stuff so they're trying not to push everyone down to, to keep their profits on whatever you, you agree to not fix that let's go let's talk sport yeah yeah okay uh so uh, can you please tell me your story in the combo sports in jiu-jitsu in particular and uh uh Kind of, you know, to introduce yourself and your your combo sports story to the to the people who listen, because I know you, but many of the people who are gonna listen that don't. So you have a quite interesting story, I, I believe. Um, I don't know. It's I think it's a it's a classical story. I got beat up when I was younger, and I, <laughs> I wanted to uh, to uh, to. Uh... Okay, let's start from the beginning. So my name is Amata. Uh, I was born in France, but my parents are Lao. So I spent all my uh, childhood, teenage, and young adulthood in France until I decided to come back in Laos in 2009. And before leaving France, uh, when I was younger, I was much more playing, uh, you know, football and soccer, how we call it in America, football with my friends. And, you know, sometimes the games can be rough. And one day we had a kind of big fight. And uh, one of my friends was, well, I was with some of my friends. Uh, one of them was um, taken apart and uh, was uh, beaten by four guys. And I tried to come to help him and I got beaten myself. And so I got traumatized, you know, and uh, I needed to find a way to, uh, you know, to uh, get out of this, um, of this feeling because People who never got beaten, some people know why they know it, but when you, or the first time you really got beaten, you, you can have a kind of psycho trauma. It's not really the physical trauma because the body can heal if it's not really hurt bad. You know, sometimes it can be hurt bad, but it was not the case. But the psycho trauma was uh, quite uh, strong, and uh, so I had to find a way to get out of it. And so I, I researched many sports, I tried many martial arts, many uh, self defense techniques, and, uh, and that's how I came to Jiu Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu was not my first try. I think I, I tried many uh, self-defense stuff. Uh, I'm just just gonna, gonna gonna stop you there because I'm curious. What what else you have tried before you actually uh, find Jiu-Jitsu? Like which which styles you 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 went through, if you don't I mean, mind, I, just just to uh, Yeah, I, I started with the I started uh, with the Krav Maga first for one year. Mm -hmm. uh, I tried after also Silat, but I, th I thought that Krav Maga was a bit more. Um, Practical, so I took classes with a, a very famous uh, teacher in France. His name is uh, Richard Uyeb. He's uh, one of the, at the time, is one of the, was one of the highest uh, ranks in in Krav Maga in, in in Europe. He was uh, in the nineties also uh, the trainer of the um, called uh, the GIGN, which is the special force of the you know the National Gendarmerie in France. 
and so on, I took uh, classes uh, with him. And uh, during one of the class, um, he was uh, demonstrating uh, ground techniques. And because he's a, he's a very nice guy, he's in, in telling us that these kind of techniques was, uh, were coming from uh, jujitsu. And so I was very interested by, by these techniques. And uh, after that, uh, I've looked for um, some clubs and some, uh, you know, in, in Paris uh, who were teaching uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And at this time, there were not that much clubs uh, teaching. There were one big, it was, was called Sactissier. Another one, another one was called Sankuno, the Sankuno. And this, were the, the, this is the one um, I enrolled in. I just went one time for a tryout. The first time I met uh, François Laurent and, uh, and uh, David Pierlou, who are the founder, uh, not the founder of the Sankuno because there are other people involved, but they were in charge of the Jiu-Jitsu uh, section. And so uh, I was, uh, yeah, like, you know, <laughs> like every time when we come to a Jiu-Jitsu class for the first time, you get crushed and you have uh, two options. Either you, uh, you reject it because of your ego or because of other stuff and you don't want to get back anymore, or either you, you love it and you want to, to learn the stuff and to understand what happened to you and what happened to me. I, get addic I got addicted to, to Jiu-Jitsu and not only to Jiu-Jitsu because it was a multi-sport uh, club. So... At the same time, I trained. I kept tra training Krav Maga for, for a while, but at the same time, I was doing um, Jiu-Jitsu, Judo, uh, boxing, kickboxing, and, and, and Pancras, which was, you know, the because MMA is not uh, legal. It was not legal. I think it's just legalized uh, this year, but for a long time, it was not legal, so we cannot call it MMA. We call it Pancras at this time. Well, Pancras is, is actually, you know, the, the traditional art that it comes from the Asian Olympics, from the Greeks. Yeah. The 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 MMA and the original Olympics were co was called Pancras, but yeah. uh, uh, many of the of the younger people don't know that back in the days uh, Pancras as a as a as a rule set uh, was very popular and like uh, some of the biggest stars at that time like Bas Rudan and uh, Frank and Ken Shang, they actually came from Pancras rules mm. and they were interesting rules you know like you cannot uh, hit the the face with uh, with fist only mm. with open palm. Mm -hmm. uh, but you can hit the body with uh, with fist, and uh, you know you compete with with shin guards, but no goals. It was very interesting rules, by the way. Like they, if people Google and uh, you can still see like Basrudan fights, he was very good in in, in Pancras, and then he got into UFC after. But Pancras was was a uh, very big network, has really interesting fights at that time. Mm. I, I think they, they yeah, even uh, there was very interesting rules which comes from the pro wrestling. Mm -hmm. So I think in Pancras, when uh, you're on the ground, but you can uh, grab the, the bottom rope because it was, uh, f the fight was in the ring. If mm -hmm. you can grab the bottom, bottom rope of the, of the ring, they have to pick you up in, uh, in standing again. So oh. people were using that to escape submission. So for, for example, like if, you, if you're into a submission hold, but you grab the bottom rope, uh, like they are not allowed to finish the submission, they have to pick you up and stand. It was very interesting rule, by the by, by yeah, the way. That time. Kind of escape, <laughs> escape. Yeah, there's, yeah, there was, a, yeah, there was this escape battle. So you call in submission, you grab the bottom rope, and they they pick you up. It was was very interesting rules at that time. Okay, so uh, this is how I started to get back to the conversation. This is how I got started jujitsu. It was yeah. in two thousand. Uh, Five, I guess, something like this. I think I started the crime again in 2004, and after, and kind of, uh, yeah, 2004, 2005, I started jujitsu. And uh, since then, well, at the beginning, I was training a lot. I was training something like uh, six days uh, a week. Uh, been too many, to all the classes available. I was really, uh, really uh, enjoying all this. Yeah, uh, and uh, how? The destiny makes makes it twist, and uh, you actually you become the first guy who introduced uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to Laos. Ah, well, uh, this is uh, after it comes to my personal story. In fact, that uh, okay, yeah, keep uh, keep going with the story. I'm very interested by the story, by the way. Ah, uh, okay, <laughs> but in fact, you know, my my parents, uh, as I say, as I told you, are allowed coming from Laos. They they met in France. They married. They they, they got two kids. Uh, you know when um, it's uh, you know when you're 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 in Laos not not now anymore but before uh, it's it's uh, it's interesting I can tell this story to the public because 
in, in Laos for people who allow people who can understand English uh, maybe they would, would find it interesting um, for a long time you know when I was coming uh, in Laos people from Laos were thinking that uh, when you're coming from abroad you you had a, you know from a, you know friends you had a rich life and you had you know everything that in a way, it's true because, uh, of course, France is not Laos; it's a developed country. But in another way, in another way, when you uh, you know when uh, you're coming from a country like Laos and you start a new life in France, life can be very tough. And, and my parents were not uh, you know even if they had uh, you know they, they studied and they, they we didn't have you know kind of uh, uh, rich life. You know we are quite quite poor. And my my parents uh, had two uh, four kids. And uh, in the nineties. My dad um, decided to go back to Laos it, because uh, his uh, mother was was dying. In fact, she was uh, sick, and uh, he decided that he wanted. He was very close to his mother, uh, and uh, he wanted to 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 go back and say goodbye to her. And so he left France. Uh, it was I think in ninety two or ninety four. I was uh, still a teenager. The thing is that he never came back. He never came back to uh, to France. So he left my mother alone. Um, Raising four kids, and I was very traumatized by by, by this. I was uh, not not only for me because um, I was already a teenager, but I was very worried for my little sister. She was she was only six six years old, mm-hmm. and I cannot couldn't really understand how a dad could uh, leave a, a little girl like this. You know, I was very very uh, angry angry with him, mm. and uh, that's what this is how I. This is what changed my destiny because I needed. Uh, I have a lot of things to to say about my teenagehood, but maybe it's not the, the right place unless you really want me to, to tell you. But uh, oh, that was... I mean, like feel feel free, you know. It's just just open conversation. If you like, if you, if you want to express it, it, just just go for it. Like, don't don't hold yourself. It like it, we we don't need you know to be to be strict to some subject or something. We can talk for anything. So if you feel like, just just go for it. Man. It's up to you. Okay, okay. Uh, but I was saying that uh, uh, because I was, um, you know, very angry, um, it impacted not not only me but my family because uh, I was uh, um, a very uh, upset, and I, I, I turned kind of a deep depression. In fact, a deep depression for several years. Which uh, led, led me to, to quit school. You know, I quit school. I was uh, something uh, 16, something. I decided to, to quit school, and uh, and it impacted on my family. My, my my brothers and sisters suffered a lot from it. They still, uh, I think, they still have grips uh, against me for this time, even if they understand the situation. But anyway, so I work. I overcome. I overcome this. Um, you know, the, this time. And when I when I became a young adult, I decided that I wanted to confront confront my dad and. This is how I decided to go back to uh, to Laos uh, in 2003 to meet my dad. In fact, and to uh, understand, to uh, to hear his version. Why did he uh, left his family? And this is how I came to Laos, and that I discovered uh, that um, my family was not only six people. It was uh, it was you know all these people I, I never met. My my grand my grandparents, my uncles, my my aunties. Uh, my uh, my cousins and it was a very very, very weird feeling. I can even sort of tell you a story because uh, uh, it was a very funny. Uh, when I decided to go back to Laos, uh, I wanted to to go by myself and I, and I didn't want anyone to know. And I told my mom just to write the address of my grandmother uh, on the paper, you know, for me to show to the tuk tuk driver or something and to be able to, to go there by myself. So I came in the morning across the road, the, across the across the uh, the bridge, and uh, I met a tuk-tuk driver. Uh, I showed him the paper. It happened that this tuk-tuk driver was my uncle. I didn't oh. know at the time, but he was my uncle. So he brought me to, to my grand to my grandmother's uh, house, and she was uh, sitting uh, outside the porch. At this time, she was already uh, half blind because she she was losing her sight. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I'm mute emotional because not because she passed away, but she uh, she stand up and uh, she mm. she hugged me like if she knew she uh, who I was. But actually, she knew who I was because my mother was worried and she told my grandmother I was coming. 
But I didn't know that she knew who I was. So when, when I brought this home, I, I, saw, I saw this uh, old lady and she, she started to cry when she, she saw me and she, she hugged me. Mm. So it's so, a very, very emotional time. And, and that's how I was introduced to Laos. And I, I discovered the country, I discovered the people. And, and it was not yet for me the time to, uh, to come and, and live here. It was just um, the time for me to, uh, to see my dad and to, uh, and to, uh, and to uh, try to know him, and to try to know his, uh, uh, his reasons. Mm. Did you manage to to make peace with your dad and uh, you know to to sort it out what what he was uh, actually making? Yeah, actually we did. Of of of, of course we did. I, you know, I took the time. I took time to to listen to him. Uh, I took the time to uh, to to uh, to know him, and that's why also I, I decided to to come back uh, to Laos regularly because I wanted to 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 to, to spend time with him. You know, and, uh, so every. Uh, Every year, every couple of years, I was coming to Laos to see my family, to see him, to talk with him, spend time with him, and until I decided uh, that uh, yeah, maybe it was time for me. Uh, it's not. Uh, it, was, it was not the, the, the main reason why I decided to to go back to Laos. It was uh, I was uh, you know in my until my thirties, all my friends started to you know to to get married, to get family, and uh, I was a uh, single, and I was thinking, yes, if I want to. Uh, to visit the world, I wanted to visit the world. Maybe I should start by my roots, you know. And since I was single and I have no attach, I said, oh, "Okay, let's go to Laos and see what what will happen there." So I just uh, packed my stuff and I, I had not much, so uh, uh, I gave I gave away uh, mostly what my, my belongings, and, uh, which were not much, and I just uh, packed my guitar, my my laptop. And jump into the plane and arrived in Laos. And you started the and you started the Ronin Ronin lifestyle. You know what Ronin is? The this traveling samurai. <laughs> <laughs> lifestyle. Uh, well, it was uh, it was not linked to jujitsu first because uh, uh, I just wanted to you know to uh, yeah to to explore my roots you know to 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 uh, to um, know myself better because in a way uh, I didn't I never felt myself in like like I was. Um, in, uh, at the right place when I was in France, you know. Uh, mm. um, you know Laos a bit, right? Because you spend time there, and that's where we met. But you know, uh, when I was um, at uh, high school, for example, uh, I was uh, late every day, every day, and I was, you know, punished every uh, end of the week because I was coming late every day. And when I arrived in Laos, uh, when I knew Laos, when I discovered Laos, I, I remember I, I realized that. Uh, well, yeah, I'm loud. All these people don't care about time, and I was kind of, kind of <laughs> and, uh, and I felt very myself home, you know. When people don't look at their watch, they just live their life, and, and you know, and, and yeah, I really feel when I really feel felt home, you know, in Laos, and I still well, feel home in, Laos. In, in in my country, we have a saying like uh, for for people who don't have a watch, mm. uh, that's happy people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, and, a, it's a good thing. And from my time in Laos, to, to be honest, I've never seen so much happy people in one place. You know, like Lao people are just happy. Like yeah. And and uh, since I came back uh, from there in Australia, and I I it just I just hard find hard time to explain to people how how happy Lao people are because uh, compared to to the lifestyle in Australia, Lao people have nothing practically, nothing material. There's just like Everything they most of, uh, most of the the belongings of, of everyone is uh, things that you can produce by your hand. Mm. Like, so that's why there's no stealing though, because no one steals nothing because pretty much like everything you have you can make it yourself. Like from the Lao people, and that, but in the same time, I've never seen so so happy people. People people in Laos are, are just happy, you know, like just 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 free and happy. And uh, yeah, that that's one of the things yeah, I remember this old saying from my country, like. Oh, if you don't have a watch, you you have a person. So yeah, it's that fits to my, to my impression for my wife in Laos as well. Yeah, I can tell you a very um, marking story story that uh, that I experienced here in Laos. Uh, it was a uh, few years ago, five six years ago. I was living uh, in a house, uh, you know, in an old Laos house, you know, wooden house in how don't I don't know how you say English, but you know, on um, piloti, you know, when the 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 the, the house is a uh, Built yeah, on, 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 on piles. That, yes, 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, actually, well, the, 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 my, my neighbor was uh, was a farmer. He was a, he had a small rice field, and he was you know growing rice. And in one day, in one year, we had a, a drought. You know, uh, water came everywhere. Uh, I could see him from my house, which which was a bit uh, higher. Uh, and I, from the balcony, seeing his house totally flooded, he was uh, moving his um, furniture out, he was moving his uh, rice pack out, he was moving all his stuff out, you know. And uh, in any uh, other country, it would be uh, dramatic, you know. Uh, it would be uh, all the people would be, uh, you know, sad and, and crying and, and, and stuff, and, you know. And uh, they were just moving this thing, this thing out, you know, to uh, uh, dry places. And when they moved everything out, they were they were still something like one and twenty meters high in the field in his house. You know, when everything was out on his, from his house, he took a net out from his house and he started fishing. And this is how people, <laughs> how people are. You know? That's so loud. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that, that's so loud. You know, they, they won't com- so complain. Loud, yeah. They're just taking the life. They're just taking what's happening now. You know, it can be a drama for people. With drama for them, it's just life. You know. Okay, yeah. my, 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 my house is flooded, what can I do? Okay, I will take my stuff out because I don't want them to be damaged, want they out. What I do? Okay, let's start to take out the opportunity, you know, take advantage of it. Okay, now I could try, try to catch fish. And yeah. it was really, it's the kind of life lesson that you only can see in this kind of countries, you know. You're here, you know, you feel sad for them, and, uh, and, and they just don't feel sad, you know. They don't feel sad for themselves, they just well, they to, keep to moving on. To be honest, I, 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 the thing is like when you travel, you have to understand the, the place where you are. You need uh, uh, that's what I discovered by my by my tra- traveling. You need more than two months because for the first two months, when you're on the place, you work with the eyes of tourists. Everything looks nice and uh, exotic or like interesting. But after you live more than two months somewhere, you start to understand the people because you have to see the travels. You have to see how they live. So yeah. the thing is with my. Uh, with my year living in 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 uh, in uh, Indochina and, and and mostly in Laos, what I fi- find out, I I stopped. I I was at the end of, of so like in in the beginning of my of my my stay there, I was kind of you know like uh, I was kind of you know like compassionate with the people there. I kind of was was sorry for for the, for the people there because uh, they don't have much and uh, you know like they were there struggling. But at the end of it, I was sorry for the Western people because at the end of my my stay of, of the year that I, I spent working in Laos I understand that the people in the West they're so trapped in these material things that they can never reach the happiness that Lao people have and yeah, stuff true. like this that you just say so it was very funny you know like it's like uh, how to say it's like uh, it's like a trip that my mind did so in the beginning of, of my stay in Laos I was sorry for the Lao people and when I was living, I was sorry for the Western people because they will never understand this way of happiness that the, the, the Lao people have. Yeah, that's true. And, and that's why, uh, you know, the, yeah, like you say, you need to stay long enough to, in a country to, to try to you know, get a glimpse of it. You know, even, uh, even after 10 years, I'm still learning about Lao people uh, in the different places. But that's true that uh, don't, just one tra- travel will, will not be enough. You need to. Actually, to 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 um, uh, because when when you're traveling to a new country, you want to see everything. You want to and you're spending your, your time running around, running around, try to 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 follow your you know your your guides or you know try to uh, to find where you know to go to, to the places where this picture was taken. But when you've done all this, you can take time for yourself and trying to to settle down and to uh, observe. You know, just. I won't say get bored because it's not really get bored. Just take your time to uh, to contemplate where you are, and it is where when starting now that you starting this point that you really can you know see what's happening uh, around you in your everyday life and not aiming for a new touristic attraction. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. That's what, what I say. Like because two months only, you're just working on touristic attraction. You just work on the on the fun stuff, you know, like uh, mm. on this thing, on this thing, but you're still with the eyes, eyes of tourists. Everything looks uh, cool and exotic or like uh, interesting, but to see how people live and, you know, to to have like uh, kind of, you know, to get kind of sense, you know, like how the wife is then, uh, the culture and everything, you, you need to stay a bit longer. That, that's mm. what, what I find out with, with my with my trips. Yeah. 
And you know what I like to say to people coming to Laos, because now I have a lot of friends and I did also a lot of, not a lot, but a bit of tourism when I was starting my life in Laos. And, and um, people, Laos is not a country like uh, Thailand or Vietnam where they have, uh, you know, people, you know, they have the beach, they have a lot of this uh, amazing, or Cambodia, you know, this amazing site when, you know, uh, people know around the world. Laos, you know, there's not much actually in Laos, you know, that uh, would attract uh, mass tourism. And I'd always tell people coming, okay, first you'll come to Laos, and you see that maybe that not, that not, not, there's not much interest compared to other countries around. But I will tell you that the day you will leave Laos, you will be sad and you won't understand why. And it happens all the time, you know. People come, they feel, you know, they're curious about the country, they don't know what's happening. They're taking their time, they're meeting people, they're enjoying their life. And after when they leave Laos, they, they feel sad. And sometimes very sad, you know, I had some of my, my friends, well, I got uh, back in France and... I'll yeah, tell you why. Six months depression. <laughs> I'll tell you why because uh, Laos is very unique because it's, I think it's, it's the only Asian country that doesn't have like access to the sea, and because of this, it's kind of you know kept in, in a shell. So the thing is like, life in Laos is kind of you know kept like uh, in good and bad way as uh, as well, but it's kept like years behind. So it's kind of you know. It's kind of hold back, but in the same time, it's it's very unique because it. It's it's not a very popular touristic place, so it's probably the worst spot on earth, on earth where you can actually feel the local culture because there's not so much tourists, not so much foreign influence yet, and it's it's very unique. You can actually feel the the culture of the people because in Thailand there's so much Western stuff. You, you don't it's yeah it it has like this Thai Thai swing and everything, but at the same time you feel too much Western things. You know what I mean? While in Laos is very unique, it's very, very Asian, very Lao, you know, it's very, very unique as, as a culture's experience. So that's why you kind of, you know, when you live there, when you, when you live from there, you kind of, you know, you, you want this place to be preserved as it is, as a unique place, because it's just very cultural, very unique with, with its own, own culture. It's, it's very different. Like, it's very hard to explain, but you probably understand me. <laughs> Other people won't. Yeah, it's a bit difficult to understand. Sadly, it's changing. We cannot, we cannot change, uh, you know, stop um, evolution. Uh, now. Um, no, no, of course. But I think that's that's why why you're sorry, sorry when you're living in Laos because part of you, you know, wants uh, Laos, you know, to develop and to get better. Part of you wants it to stay in that way just because it's kind of cool being that way. You know what I mean? It's just that's true. It's mixed feelings when you when you're living in Laos. At, at least that, that that's how I felt as a, a complete foreigner, you know. For, for yeah, so you, you you felt it also. <laughs> yeah. So what I yeah. saying what I saying is very true then. So you have these battling feelings. You want Laos to do good and to develop, but at the same time you want it to to preserve and to stay as it is. So you kind of have mixed feelings. You don't know what what is right, what is wrong, but you just feel like these battle feelings inside you. Yeah. 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 And there's also the this attachment to people that you have. People are very, yes, um, yes. People very, very open. unique. Yeah. Very open. Yeah, I, I explain in these stories. It, you cannot die by hunger in Laos. Because everyone is like, when you see a foreigner, oh, come eat with us, come eat with us, come eat with us. Uh, and uh, because I like to explore, you know, when I'm in, uh, in, uh, in the sea or in the village, I like just to walk around by myself, just, just to walk, you know. Mm -hmm. And you, you cannot walk 50 minutes because from, from this house, they oh, come eat with us, come eat with us. You walk up ten minutes for the other house. Oh, come in to us, come in us. You can you cannot walk. Everyone's like wants us to feed you. It's just so so easy, you know. You cannot die by hunger if you're foreigner there. People are so open, so 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 easy to. Everyone's just approaching and invites you. It's really yeah. really different. Yeah, yeah it's uh, some it's something that uh, you know that the, the, there's a re still um, a real social tissue. You know, so I I remember. Um, uh, one time I was leaving my, my office quite late, it was uh, something uh, like 9 or 9.30 and, and at this time I was, I was smoking, now I quit smoking <laughs> but I was, and I was just stopping because I didn't have any um, lighter on me and I stopped at, um, at uh, you know, a repair shop, a you know, motorbike repair shop and uh, for, to ask for lighter and I ended up, uh, it just ended up spending all the, all the, you know, until midnight with him and, and, you know, having fun with him. And the guy that just met for, to ask a fire, you know. 
And I, I don't think it happened in, in much conference. Just meet someone for the first time and you become friends and you spend three, four hours uh, together like this. And it's what well, I really like. Well, it, it hardly happens in, in the other place because people are all in a rush. A lot of people, they, they own their time. They, they don't rush for no Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They own their time. It's very true. Uh, let's let's bring the, the conversation back to Jiu-Jitsu. How you decide to, to actually to start teaching Jiu-Jitsu in Laos? Actually, I, I, I wanted to, to start from the beginning. I tried to, to, to teach in, when I arrived in 2009, but actually, if you, if you uh, see the timeline in 2009, Jiu-Jitsu was still um, something that was uh, confidential, even, uh, even in France, you know, it was uh, still confidential. In, uh, you know, it's, now, now it's big in all, and in many Western countries big, but imagine how it was in 2000 in Southeast Asia. There was nothing. Uh, I did some research when I arrived, and I, I thought, the only thing, um, only club, the, the only uh, uh, gym I found was in Phuket, and I think the, 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 the teacher was a blue belt. So from my research at this time, there were nothing uh, except uh, this uh, gym in Phuket, and the, and the teacher was uh, uh, just a blue belt. So, and uh, I met a few guys here, and uh, we decided to have a small group. Uh, one of the guys was a purple belt from America. He was uh, here for, for a short time, but we used to train a bit together, and we had a small group. But at the end, that was, it was at my very beginning, Laos, and I haven't settled down yet. I didn't, didn't have a real job yet. I didn't know, uh, you know, I was still building my life. So it was, uh, it was not my priority, and I couldn't live by teaching because nobody knew Jiu-Jitsu, nobody would have been interested in Jiu-Jitsu. So what I, what I did at this time is I just kept training uh, uh, by myself first and also by training with the Judo people, the Judo guys, for, for one year, one year and a half, something like this. And I was uh, building a new life, you know. And, um, so Jiu-Jitsu was not my first priority because I couldn't uh, make a living from it. But I could, uh, what, I, what I managed to do is try to, um, okay, if I cannot train, I, have, I don't have uh, regular partners, I will just work on my fundamentals. And it's what I did, you know, for, for the first years, just work on fundamental moves. That's why if you ask my student, they will, um, they will uh, tell you uh, that I, I'm very, very um, attached and very focused on fundamentals because actually uh, it what helped me to keep, to keep my jiu-jitsu alive, you know. I'd, uh, no fancy move, no YouTube at this time, I just doing, you know, Fundamentals move uh, on the ground, shrimps and stuff, etc. Yeah, I like, I like to say this to my students: you can never be good enough uh, not not to do fundamentals. So I think you can never never be wrong doing fundamentals. Yeah, that's true. In, and it in in the first time I came back in France was uh, in 2014 because. Uh, <clears throat> My sister, because <laughs> like I like to say uh, to my friends, it's, it's half a joke, but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a joke, but it's half a joke, but I didn't have the, the money to, 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 to buy a plane ticket, you know. So uh, when, I st when st things started to, to, to get well and I could travel, and uh, my sister, this time my, my little sister had a baby, so I decided to go back to France, and, you know, and, and, uh, and I you know, went back to my old YouTube friends, and uh, one of my friends at this time was a... Uh, was a brown belt now he's black belt but i was wearing with him and i told him yes it's my first uh, real jiu-jitsu class in, in five years he looked at me oh, ah really you you still have your you know the your, your base you just have your... and yeah i was happy because even if of course i didn't have all the all the, the game back and all the techniques uh, but my base was still here and it's because i just spent my time doing fundamentals you know just uh, working on, on my my on my body shape and doing the, this kind of stuff. Uh, so what 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 belt you at the moment? I think you you get get promoted uh, since the time we, we have seen each other. And love that. Was yeah, so. yeah, I, I got my my brown belt uh, last uh, February. Yeah, I think I think that was recent. So congrats to that. Thank you very much. So um, yeah, I got back to, into my uh, old sensei, David Pierre. The one who gave me uh, my my blue and my purple belts, and what's also a, a nice story about it, uh, it uh, when I decided to move back to uh, to Laos, I didn't tell anyone. Uh, on, only few, a couple of friends who, my intimate friends who, who, knew, who knew that I, I was leaving France because it was difficult, it was sad. I was living uh, like dying, you know, when uh, you decide to leave everything behind, leave your friends, your family behind, 
Yeah, I really felt like it was my my first uh, uh, time dying, and it's very important because it's when you feel this that you can, you know, uh, you have another experience in life. You know, I think it's important to, to feel these kind of things. And uh, actually, um, I was in my uh, 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 what we call now the the blue belt blues. You know, I was uh, I was blue belt at this time, uh, uh, and I didn't mean. But she wasn't sure where, where, where I was going. At the time, I was also spending a lot of time out of jiu-jitsu because I was starting to take uh, salsa classes. So uh, it became... Yeah. <laughs> it's that, that's very Jean-Claude Van Damme thing. <laughs> yeah, no, but that, Dancing and fighting. <laughs> no, that's true. I was, I was dancing a lot. And first, I was uh, trying, going for a class, then two, then three. And, and, uh, and uh, at this time, this year, I spent maybe more time dancing than, than, than learning jiu-jitsu. <laughs> and... Um, and so uh, my um, my sensei uh, uh, heard that I was leaving, and he, he told me, "I want you to uh, to come this week, uh, at least uh, uh, three times this week." And, okay, let's go. Let's. And um, the day before I was leaving to Laos, I was leaving on on a Saturday morning. I think it was on twenty third of March, uh, two thousand nine. Friday night, he gave me my paper belt, and I was very, uh, I was very surprised because uh, I didn't, I didn't feel that I was deserving. It, you know, I was not uh, that much present at, at, the, at the class for the, the past year. I was, uh, I was not sure I had the level, and I told him, David, I'm not sure that uh, I deserve it. It's only uh, you can put it in a frame if you want, but uh, you spend enough time on the mat, uh, do whatever you want uh, with, with this belt, something like this, you know, something like this. So it was a very touch. I took, took my belt and put it in my backpack, and the next day I was uh, leaving to Laos. And it's important. It's it's very, it's very important for me. It's something that um, I think helped me to uh, to keep going with jujitsu because um, if I uh, maybe if I was not uh, promoted, maybe I didn't wouldn't have the the confidence to keep you know going to keep training or to start teaching. Well, I think and, I think your 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 teacher saw saw the potential in you, and uh, he did the right thing by keeping on the uh, on the path of, of jujitsu with uh, with promoting you because he know you you develop and you you do good things. So sometimes as as a coach you and a teacher, you know, sometimes you have this feeling that you know, like some people you know deserve something because of a thing that they were gonna do in in the future. So I think he got this feeling with you, and he do he did the right thing. Yeah, now I'm sure I did the right thing. At this time, I was not sure, but uh, now I understand that uh, you know uh, coaches and, and professors and senseis they they've been trained before a long time before you, so they know things that um, you yeah. don't know yet. And now yeah, that I'm coaching, I realize it. You know, sometimes I see my students and I say, one time you understand, I can tell you maybe you get it, maybe not, won't get it now, but sometimes you understand. And and uh, now. Uh, I think if he had didn't, uh, if he hadn't give give me the, his trust at this time, maybe I wouldn't trust myself, and maybe I wouldn't uh, keep going and kept training and opening my gym and teaching now. So it's very important. Uh, it was, I think, it was a key moment in my uh, jujitsu life. Maybe, uh, maybe if uh, if he didn't trust me enough to, to give me uh, my purple belt, uh, maybe uh, maybe I would have stopped jujitsu like many others in, in the world. You know they. And they start up at the blue belt, and they're happy with that, and they move on, and they do something else. Well, I was I was looking at statistics recently. Actually, like uh, it was big percentage, ninety something percent actually quit jujitsu on, on blue belt. Yeah, that's it's big. Yeah, it's most people actually give up give up training on blue belt, which is somewhere about their second year. People yeah. just 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 give up, and yeah, the the ones who continue actually who become good, but most people just train for like one two years. And which is practically, you know, getting your your blue belt, and then they, they just they just give up, you know. Like that's that's actually, you know, like what's the kind of tipping point if you if you really will become good in into the sport in the art, or you will be just become like, you know, just mediocre like everyone else. So yeah, it's it's strange, but apparently that's that's how it works for for majority of the people. They just quit on their second year of training. But you know what I see, how I see it now is that, um, like I, I, I told you, uh, it was uh, in your life you need to, to die to die many times, not to die for real, but 
to uh, uh, restart. You know, in uh, when you're white belt, you have this uh, shiny uh, goal. You know, uh, and you want to achieve. You you work hard, and uh, finally you reach it. And uh, what else? You know, now uh, you got your blue belt. You did all the work for that, but after you just realize that it's what it's just it was not a goal. It was just a, a step, a milestone. But it was just a step, and now you have to, to have you have you have to start to get back to work and to work even more. And sometimes we can people can be discouraged from, from it. And it's also what I uh, like in jiu-jitsu. It's like you know, it's like in life. You know, there's uh, nothing that's definite. You know, it's just step after after step. And uh, what makes you success successful is uh, how you overcome uh, your the obstacles. You know what what you do when you reach your goals. When you know when you what you do when you fail when you're failing uh, reaching your goals. You know, and uh, I think that uh, it also shows uh, you help you to to know yourself. But it's the same in life, isn't it? Just in the sport, it's a bit more simple and. Uh... But the, the lessons you learn in, 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 in sport and in jiu-jitsu, it, it actually the it the same principles you apply in life when you when you fail, like uh, it's you just have to realize not the end, end of the world, you just you know, just find solution or just, just keep keep going and that's how you solve things. Yeah. That's what what's actually you know like the sports te is teaching in a in a more simple way though, but the principle is the same. Yeah, yeah. At the end the the you know you know it's only a... Thing that will make you successful in life or in jiu-jitsu is, uh, is uh, you know, grinding. You know, just uh, stay on the mat. Even you know, sometimes you you're happy, sometimes you're not happy, sometimes you want to, sometimes you don't want to. But you just have to uh, to keep going. Uh, life is, is easy for no one. You have highs, you have uh, you have lows, but you have to keep going. And, uh, and it's, it's same for jiu-jitsu. Absolutely. Uh, how many people you have in the group at the moment? I saw I saw a picture recently. I see it's growing. Yeah, it's growing, but it's uh, there's a lot of variation. You know, I think that uh, I would say a dozen of people, um, but more. Uh, some people are not coming. This, you know, as regularly uh, as, as I would. And now I'm trying to have uh, to expose Jiu-Jitsu to the Lao Judo team because uh, they asked me to teach, to teach at the Budo Center. Now they're preparing the SEA Games, so um, they're a bit tired after the judo training. But uh, I have high hopes that uh, when the SEA Games will be uh, over, some of the judo team will, uh, will come and train with us. Now the, 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 the coach of the judo team is training with us after the training. I come to the judo train with him. I get smashed. <laughs> it's very painful. But, uh, but uh, it's really good for me. And uh, at, the, at the end of the judo session, the, the Japanese coach uh, Come and train with us, and, and I'm very happy that we have this opportunity to exchange on this level. Yeah, I saw I saw pictures uh, and, and videos in your Facebook uh, traveling uh, tra uh, training with this uh, high-level Japanese judo coach, which yeah. is is probably you know like the best judo you can get is from Japanese coach. Uh, yeah, so tell me more about this guy. He he looks very very uh, very good and very knowledgeable about about judo. Yeah, actually, in fact, uh, he's uh, the assistant of the main uh, sensei, uh, sensei Kamiki, who, Kamichi, excuse me, who, uh, because, you know, uh, uh, Lao Lao Judo uh, is, uh, is very linked to the, the Kodokan, and every uh, two years or so, they, they say they send, they're sending, uh, uh, there's a turn, uh, turnover, they, they, they're sending um, high-level uh, uh, Judo uh, senseis to Laos, you know, um, and, uh, and uh, this year we have uh, Sensei Ka Ka Kamichi, and what made the link is that um, uh, my friend, uh, one of my very good friends from France, uh, Hakim, Hakim Jabali, just visited me uh, a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about this uh, a long time ago, but he, he made it, he came to Laos. And he's a um, black belt in judo, in jiu-jitsu, he's a two-time world champion in jiu-jitsu, in a blue belt, in, in purple belt, yeah, heavyweight. And he's also um, you know, a first division fighter in, in France, uh, in judo, so a very high level uh, fighter. And uh, the day we we are doing we are doing a seminar for for the judo people, uh, you know, with him at the Budo Center, and the same day these these guys they came, you know, they just coming from from uh, from Japan, and so they they, they attended they, they just watched 
attended to the seminar. I'm not attended to the seminar, but watched from the side because they, they were just out of the plane. And after they proposed uh, us to have dinner together with, with Hakim and with me and with Yohei, uh, his assistant, his coach assistant. And so we had a very good time. And and I, I, I posted some video on my, on my Facebook if you want to see, but you see the sensei Kamichi uh, doing a private class uh, to Hakim. Uh, yeah, I saw that. I saw, I saw that video. No, just yeah, so, so in the grips and you know, yeah, taking great. taking the taking off the the bars of neck was 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 actually a really good move. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was explaining us his story and his incredible story how how he how he he stole his wife in Ireland in, in Japan. <laughs> he's a yeah, he's an incredible guy. And he showed he showed he showed us his his a secret um, notebook when he's explaining all these. Uh, techniques and the way he's training, the way he was very interesting. I couldn't get everything because um, he only speaks Japanese and, and Yohei can speak uh, uh, English and, and Japanese, but you know, translation is always difficult. But mm. we had a good time and and um, like I, I, I related it in, in my, uh, you know, in my, my Facebook and, you know, I had, you know, now I'm spending 10 years in Laos and a lot of years trying to develop Jiu-Jitsu and I was asking him some some um, some advice, you know, how how can I improve also my relationship with the judo people because it was a tense uh, from a time now it's better because now uh, now we understand that we can work together but for a time it was a bit tense at the, at the early at the early stage of uh, of my time in Laos when I was training with them and uh, he listened to me carefully and up um, there just replied me uh, yes you have three things to do the first thing is to train as hard as you can. The second thing, after training, you should take a good shower. And the third thing you have to do is to have to relax after the shower. So I was uh, I was very confused, and I don't want to, uh, you know, to get him upset or to uh, okay, okay, thank you, master, thank you, sensei. But I was very very confused. Uh, and when I got back home with Hakim, and uh, I told him, yeah, I was asking uh, sensei about this, and he told me this. And I came well, for him. It was very clear. Yeah, he said, yeah. Sensei is right. I said, what do you mean? When is right? I have to to take shower and stuff. He said, no, we, uh, you know, we're in a martial art world, and if you want people to uh, to listen to you, people to trust you, people to, uh, you know, uh, you have to be stronger. Uh, you have, uh, yeah. You, you all you have to do is train, train hard, and and, and beat them up, beat everyone up. So I said, yeah, it's easy for you, but, and that's why after that, uh, but. After I realized that, yeah, in a way, it's, it's simple. You know, if I if I really want to uh, to develop jujitsu, I need to to be uh, credible. You know, and to uh, when and people need to believe um, me, not by my talk, not with my mouth, but what I'm with what I'm doing on the mats. And so I decided to. That's how I decided to to get back on, on the judo uh, training with them. You know, to improve my conditioning because their conditioning is is so good. You know, when we train with them, uh, you know, even if they not yet knowledgeable about um, uh, ground fights. You know, they had such pressure, they had such uh, stamina, and it's only a good thing for me to be able to, uh, to get back training with them. And I, and I was very welcome, you know. Uh, Yohei and, and Sensei Kamichi, they, they just welcomed me and kept coming and training with us. And I said the same, you know, after training, just come with us, train Jiu-Jitsu with us. And it's what's happening now. And we have a, yeah, I really feel that uh, we have this uh, kind of very good connection and I'm very, um, I'm very sh hoping that it will lead, you know, uh, largely to a step forward, and uh, I'm very confident in, in that. Awesome. That that's that that's a very good lesson, you know, very very simple but very wise at the same time. So, uh, as as a coach, and uh, for every coach is different because coaching is kind of like finding itself, it's like expression to yourself. Like from from coaching point of view, which part of coaching you consider most important? Uh, which part of coaching? Coaching, uh, yeah. I think the the personal aspect is very important. You know, you need to uh, to know your students, and you need to know yourself, and uh, you need to 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 make the connection. In fact, I think the most difficult part in coaching is to make a good connection. You need trust, uh, and trust has to be a. Uh, you need to have reciprocity. It's not uh, me uh, showing and, and knowing everything. It's, it's very wrong, you know. I don't know. I don't know everything. I'm very far from it. 
and I don't want them to to think that I know everything because sometimes they ask you and they, they look at you like uh, you you know you're on the pedestal because you have more experience. But uh, uh, it's, uh, it's something that I don't want people, my students, to believe. You know, uh, it's not the way I, I'm coaching. I want to have a connection to, to be able to trust each other because uh, we're doing a martial arts where actually we're putting. Um, our lives in our partner's hand. You know, if my if I'm if um, I'm if my students choking me is not raising, I'm dying. You know, the same. If I'm choking someone, I'm not raising, he's dying. So, we we need to have this very deep connection and and very uh, deep trust to be able to put your life into your 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 training partner's uh, hands. And that's why the connection and, and trust are very important. It's what I want to I try to develop uh, first. And I would say that I wouldn't coach. Uh, uh, anyone I wouldn't trust. Uh, for me, it's uh, quite clear. If I see some, if I'm meeting someone someday and I cannot make a, uh, you know, connection of trust, uh, then I don't think I will uh, have it. Uh, have him as a student. I have the choice. If I have the choice, I wouldn't take it. Mm. Yeah, that that's a, that's a, that's a very good point. Uh, is Kazbek still training? This yeah, deep. of course, he's, he's, still, <laughs> he's still training, he's still beating everyone up. Uh, he's, uh, but he had a good lesson because now that uh, we, we, uh, uh, we are training with Yohei uh, and, uh, and uh, when Hakim came, yeah. because Kazbek, people who don't know him, is a, is a, is a, I don't say my student because I, won't, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't consider him my student. It's my training partner that is here for, for three, four years, uh, three years, I guess, uh, and one more here. And he's uh, from is um, uh, from Chechnya, and people never met Chechen people. They just uh, natural. You know them because you're coming from the, from this kind of from this the same region. But the natural born fighters, the natural born fighters, and they're, they're real killers. And, uh, and uh, but it was good for him to 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 get smashed by Hakim, and to, uh, to uh, <laughs> yeah because it's good you know when. When you're 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 on you know on the top, sometimes you need to to get someone to humble you because it will push you to to move forward, you know. And it's difficult for Kazbek to to find uh, to want someone to to smash him. You know, even me, I don't I don't smash him. Uh, and uh, it's good for him now. I think it's I think it's improving. It's improving because uh, he got his uh, he, he saw some of his weaknesses working with Hakim and working with with Yohei. And uh, he's improving uh, day after day. Good, good. Send, send him, send him my regards. He's a cool guy. Yeah, he's a very nice guy. Very I'm very happy to have him here. I'm a bit. Uh, I'm happy that he can stay one more year because uh, uh, at first he was planning to to leave in September, but he will stay until June. So I'm I'm very happy to have him for one more year. Very good. Uh, do you guys uh, did any competitions already from the from your team? Uh, no, for, for from Lao people, no. From Lao team, no, not yet. I want, I want um, maybe this year to have um, people involved in competition. I guess I have uh, one of our students who is uh, very interested, uh, and uh, we'll try to, to make it this year. For myself, yes, I I want to get back to competition. Uh, I just um, I did the. the um, the, one of the Paris uh, competition recently, just before coming back to Laos, and my Paris competition was in Hanoi last year, last summer. But I'm not a big competitor, and and I, and I think that now it's time to to get back to competition because there's things I need to learn from competition. And, uh, and uh, at first, my my first thought about competition is was that um because you know I'm. Um, 42, 40, yeah, it will be 43 this year. And I was thinking that, okay, I will uh, probably have my black belt soon. And where, where what is uh, the best way for me to learn? With the best people would be probably in competition because pe people at the black belt level, you know, of my age, they had, uh, they have decades of, uh, of experience, you know? And I was thinking, yeah, if I'm doing competition, uh, at, when I will be a black belt with these kind of people, I have a lot of things to learn. I have a lot of things to learn. So that's why I, I thought about uh, going back to competition. But in in this uh, you know in this view, I, I started I started uh, just 
now and I realized that uh, as a brown belt, uh, I was surprised that uh, uh, physically I was, um, I think in the last competition, I felt above uh, people of my age and my category. And I realized that, yes, in fact, uh, living in Laos 10 years, and because I didn't do, didn't compete much when I was younger, my body is quite preserved. You know, I didn't uh, push too hard when I was younger, so my body is quite preserved. My life in Laos uh, allows me to you know, have good, uh, you know, good rest and good food and, and stuff. And uh, in my, in my, I'm quite uh, in good shape, except that I'm a bit overweight, but I'm working on it. And I was thinking, yes, maybe if I can uh, reduce uh, my weight, and since also I have quite long experience in Jiu-Jitsu, you know, now it's my 15 years of Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, people are in, you know, a brown belt probably have uh, less experience than, than me, I guess, because of my story. I was thinking, yeah, maybe try to compete as brown belt instead of waiting for the black belt. Maybe try to compete as, as a brown belt, get some experience and see what uh, if I can make something. Because um, my, uh, my physical, uh, Abilities are good. Uh, my my experience uh, is, is, is wide. So now I'm I'm trying to uh, this year I want to compete uh, more on a personal level. But at the same time, it's not on the, only on a personal level. I mean that everything I can make uh, as a jiu-jitsu uh, head coach, in Laos, uh, uh, as a as a fighter athlete, but also as a jiu-jitsu head coach in Laos will uh, help me to bring people in to, to convince people, you know. From Laos, that maybe they, they can have something to learn from me, and maybe try to uh, make the, the judicious judicious shine over other disciplines. Because now a lot of people are much more interested into uh, other other kind of martial art, taekwondo or muay thai or muay lao or, or I, I don't know. I'm not sure yet. They convince about judicious, and I think it's my it's my job, it's my work to try to convince them about the efficiency of judicious. Yeah, the thing in Laos is like, uh, for people who don't know, like the traditional fighting art of Laos is uh, Muay Lao, which is, as a style, is uh, very similar as, as Muay Thai. It's a striking style, it's uh, kind of like uh, kickboxing Muay Thai style of, of fighting. So it, it's a bit, uh, it's a bit uh, away from the grappling arts, you know, people in, 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 in this area of, uh, I think comprehend as funny most you know kicking and, and punching than actually grappling so yeah i believe you know like introducing jiu-jitsu there means this you know kind of just you know resistant in in the people's mind that oh the, like grappling is also way of funny not only punching and kicking so that that's something you it's kind of you know like uh works works differently in in, in the culture there yeah I think it's uh, one of the major uh, obstacles. Uh, Lao, Asian people in general, and Lao people in particular, they don't like, they don't really uh, enjoy close contact. You know, and we we close in Chinese, we we sticking to each other. They don't like to have the people sweating on them or touching each other that uh, that closely. And even uh, I had to talk with one of my very very close friend, my very good friend, uh, last last week. Uh, I want her to do jujitsu, and and she said no, no way, I don't want to. Uh, uh, there's no way uh, I want to smell someone else's butt. <laughs> it was very uh, frank from her, but actually it's probably what a lot of people feel, you know. They, they, they feel that when they see us that we're smelling each other's butt. <laughs> and I cannot, you know, like, I cannot uh, stop laughing because it's laughable, but at the same time it's uh, it's one of the difficulties that um, people have they, to overcome, you know, in their mind because uh, at the end it's not what we're doing, you know. Yeah, I think you, you're doing a good job for for promoting uh, the art back then in Laos and uh, you, you, you're doing the right thing and I'm pretty sure that uh, you'll be successful in that and I'm really proud to, to call him my friend and uh, uh, maybe one day we might meet meet, meet each other again. So I, I'll go for normally uh, uh, the final question I give uh, in, in this podcast. From your perspective, what is worth fighting for? What is worth fighting for? Um, people you love, uh, but mainly, I guess the the new the new generation. For me, uh, you know, we live in a really troubled world. 
and we cannot fix it. We cannot heal it. It's too late for us. But the only thing we can do is prepare the next generation to uh, to make the work. It's not very nice to give them the work, but we don't have the choice. All we can do is prepare. It's preparing them to to handle uh, all the challenges that they will have to face. And that's why also I'm so um, a lot of people here, uh, all my close friends, don't understand why I'm so attached in European Jiu-Jitsu because it's you know it's very small. It's not doesn't make much money. But I think that in, in Jiu-Jitsu is an incredible um, a tool for uh, education tool. And I think that uh, if uh, we if you if we can um, introduce Jiu-Jitsu to, to young kids, it will help them to, to structure themselves, they, they help them to have confidence, help them to, you know, to, uh, to develop qualities that school wouldn't develop or normal lecture wouldn't develop. So for me, uh, Jiu-Jitsu is um, an incredible educational tool and it is my aim to use Jiu-Jitsu as an educational tool to help preparing the next generation to, uh, to take over because uh, we, will need, we will need them. And the challenges they will they will have to face it's way bigger than what we're facing now. Now I think that we're in the last generation uh, of human being who can really enjoy the world. I'm not sure it will be the same for the the next or the following generation. And so I will I want all I, all I want to do is to try to give my best to try to prepare them for the for these challenges. Thank you, my brother. You're a great man. Uh, I really love you and. Uh... Thank you for whatever you're doing, uh, and I hope I, I meet you again. And uh, we can do after after next year when you you do a couple of comps and uh, when your team develop even even more than than now, we we can do this this again and we can we can chat again on the podcast. Thank you for your time. Thank you. It's all my pleasure in uh, in coming time in Laos. You're welcome. Anytime, brother. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Faisal podcast. Subscribe in your podcast app to receive the next episode where I talk with one of the most feared European grapplers, Christian Popov. Chris is a friend of mine and he is a math teacher and BJJ black belt. His self-taught brutal hillhook game won him the European Naga belt five times and the nickname the Minister of Hillhook. Mm-hmm.